All right, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kozlowski, joined by the usual suspects that make up the Red Triangle, Eddie Mitchum. It's good as always to be here, Matt. And uh, Shane Stein. Good to be here again, Matt. All right, so we're going to start off, as we usually do with the NFL, um, two games to talk about this weekend. It is Conference Championship Sunday. Um, let's talk about the first game, which I believe is the AFC game. Uh, New England, minus three at Denver. Going to make some picks against the spread here. Um, we'll start off with you, Shane, since this game hits home for you. Who do you like, and what do you expect to happen in this one? Yeah, well, I mean, anytime you can get a Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning matchup, uh, regular season, postseason, it's always a pretty special thing. Uh, this is the seventeenth time these two these two quarterbacks are going to get together. Um, I'm really expecting a really good game this time. I, I think the Patriots have the better team, but something is just going on with Denver. I, I feel like they're kind of built for this game right here. They have the pass rushers to get to Brady. They, the defense seems to come up with a big play every week for them. And it started at the beginning of the year. They've come up with a big play in every game that has kind of turned the tables and won them the game. I picked Denver at the beginning of the year to go to the Super Bowl. I picked them at the beginning of the playoffs here to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with it, even though I think New England is significantly better. And I'm going to take the points here, Denver getting three, and I'm just going to roll with it. I, I don't know what it is. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a huge Patriots homer. I, I usually love taking them. For whatever reason, they don't play their best football in Denver. I think that's going to be the case again here. Uh, I'll take Denver by three. All right, Eddie, um, which side are you leaning on? Um, I'm all in on the Patriots here. You know, being a Steelers fan and watching what the Steelers did against Denver last week, they had that game the whole way down to the end. Uh, the Tucson fumble was backbreaking. Um, the defense played extremely well. They were helped by some drops early in that game, but you know I've been all over Demarius Thomas for his inability to catch the ball all season, so that didn't really shock me that he came out and dropped a couple out of the gates. I, I mean, I just don't see it with Denver. They just, I don't know. They, they, they don't look like a good football team. They don't look like a good playoff team. The pass rush was fairly non-existent for uh, three and three-fourths of that game. They didn't really get to bend much until the fourth quarter when it kind of mattered. I guess that says something about them um, a little bit. But, you know, Ben holds the ball much longer than Brady does. I mean, he's like 2.1 seconds or something like that on the gun when he's getting rid of the ball. And I just don't think that New England – or that Denver's defense – can, can match up with that. Um, a very depleted Steelers offense went in there, and I felt had pretty good success against them for what they were working with. I mean, Bell's been out the whole season, then you, you're missing D'Angelo Williams in there, and then arguably the most productive player in football, Antonio Brown, goes out. Roethlisberger's banged up, and I mean, he didn't look banged up the way he played. Um, but I just don't see it with Denver. I don't think the run game is still good enough. They gashed, them. They gashed the Steelers a couple times, but 
just don't see it. I think New England wins this one by, let's say, probably two touchdowns. I, I really don't think it's going to be close. I don't think they have enough to stop Gronk. I think Edelman's going to get his. So I think New England takes this one uh, by two touchdowns. Yeah, I think New England's um, a much better team, much more talented. Um, I think that they should have beat Denver earlier in the season. I think there was a a late muff punt, I believe, that cost that game for them. Um, I'm going to take New England. I don't think it's by two touchdowns. I'm going to say by a touchdown. But I do like New England to win this one. I think they've been the class of the AFC. And I think they're all really healthy right now. I mean, Edelman looked fantastic. And with him even putting up the numbers he put up last week, I think he only caught about 60% of his targets. So he could have had an even better game. And Gronk's just a monster. Um, One thing I will say that I thought was interesting, just got announced today that Ed Hockley is doing the game. Ed Hockley, the Patriots are 0-7 in games that Ed Hockley has refed. Um, so I wonder if this is maybe Goodell trying one more time to stick it to New England. But I do like New England to win this one. Um, I just think they're the better team. Yeah, yeah, just to touch on a little bit more. For me, this goes back to when they played together, what was it, week 11 or week 12? They played in Denver. Uh, the Patriots dominated most of that game. And I know we had a good laugh about it because we listened to Simmons' podcast after uh, after that game, and he was going off about how one-sided the officiating was in that game and I know I watched that game the whole way through and and honestly I know I'm a Patriots homer and I love me some Patriots but it really was the most one-sided game I saw officiating wise this year and it just leads me to believe that something is going on where I mean the the chips are just falling Denver's way for some reason I don't I don't know where it is it's kind of like it reminds me of a few years ago with the Ravens thing I hate to beat that horse where it's like, oh, a star player at the end of his career, and they kind of just want a fairy tale ending for him. But it kind of feels like everything's just leaning that way. I really think New England, just like you guys said, I think New England's the better team here. But for whatever reason, the breaks, the little things that are just going the Broncos' way, I think I think they're going to keep going on, and uh, it's going to carry Manning to one last Super Bowl here. Um, I definitely I feel that way a little bit, um, but I just think New England has too much talent. Chris Harris banged up. Definitely hurts Denver. I'd feel a little better about Denver's situation if they had both corners healthy. So, I just think New England gets it done and Brady gets to a seventh Super Bowl, which is just incredible to say that, that those numbers. Um, Ed, we'll kick off the NFC game with you. Arizona at Carolina. Carolina three-point favorites at home. Carolina jumped out to a big lead, got let off the gas a little bit in the second half. Arizona did the opposite. Um, they kind of had to come storming back only to have to win the game in overtime then after the incredible two Hail Marys by Aaron Rodgers. Um, you jumped off the Carolina bandwagon last week. I said I wouldn't let you back on, but I guess I think we have room for one more if you want to jump back on at this point. This one's tough for me. Um, you know, Carolina has jumped out to a couple weeks this year. Um, played in some weird games and finds ways to get it done. I know I told you at halftime of that game that that game was going to, I think during the first drive after half, I said this game's going to tighten up because Carolina just always seems like they take their foot off the pedal. They kind of 
need to and they don't go when they don't really need to, uh, which is concerning. Um, I think they certainly have the ability to get off to a fast start playing at home. I think that's a, that's a big role in this game. And I think what it comes down to in this game with two pretty good defenses here going at it, I think it's going to come down to the ability to run the ball. And I think that David Johnson struggled here the last couple games. And I think that that's going to kind of continue here against Carolina, the pretty stout run defense. I think Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton find it more success in the run game. And I think that's what's going to be tilting this game. Um, I think it's going to be a tight one, uh, similar to what we saw last week with Carolina playing. I, I know it wasn't tight at the beginning, but it ended up being pretty tight. Um, the decision to go for a fourth down in the second quarter for the Seahawks when they were down 31-0 on a score in which you're going to need a field goal eventually. Um, I felt it was a big swinging point in that game, and I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about that decision, uh, which kind of surprised me because I know I was harping on it all game as I was talking to you back and forth and how crucial that was down the stretch. Um, but I think I, I think I like Carolina to get it done here. I just think their defense poses enough problems to, to, the, Car- to the Arizona run game. Um, Palmer didn't really look great last week. So, basing it off of the fact that I think they underperformed against the Packers team that I thought they should have came out and really beat up on. I guess I'm going to jump back on the Carolina bandwagon here. Uh, give the three points and take Carolina, but I really think this one's going to be a slugfest. Yeah, I was watching that game uh, as well with, with Butler, and we were saying the same thing when they didn't kick the field goal there. We're like, what are they doing? I mean... This game's not over yet. You need to get a field goal at some point. Why not just take it here? Maybe you get the ball back and get another one before half. You're only down 31-6. I mean, obviously, at that point, you're still going to need something crazy to happen to get back into it. But they did in the second half. And not kicking the field goal in that spot really came back to harm. I thought you kick the field goal there, and then you start out the second half the way you did. And you're, you're right there. It gets to 31-17 with 20 minutes left in the game or whatever it would have been. So that was, that was really, I thought, a bonehead coaching mistake there by Pete Carroll, who I usually regard as one of the better coaches in the league. But back to the game, I, I really have gone back and forth on this one, and I know I spoke with you, Kaz, a couple weeks ago, and doesn't it seem like, I know Carolina's been really good, but I just feel like with that offense, they have the ability to throw up just an absolute clunker at some point. Uh, the receiving core is just not very good. And, and I, I like Cam Newton. I, I think he's he's playing great, obviously. I just feel like that offense has the ability to throw up a clunker. They did it in the second half against Seattle. I, I think that they could do it again. And I, I kind of like Arizona pretty big in this one. I think they Arizona wins by about 13, 14 points in this one. I'm, I'm going to take Arizona, take the points. Uh, I think uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Carson Palmer are going to go to the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I'm torn on this one. I've been on Carolina all year. I feel like this season is just destined to be Cam Newton's season, so that's why I'm going to stick with Carolina in this one. Um, it was kind of a fluky win for them against Seattle. All the things that went wrong for Seattle were real. The turnovers were kind of fluky. I think there was a tipped ball that got picked off. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. Um, 
Arizona didn't play nearly as well as I thought they would against Green Bay. Palmer looked a little sketchy. That was his first playoff win. Maybe just a guy that hasn't been in this spot a lot. Uh, maybe the nerves got them a little bit, but I think Arizona probably has more talent than Carolina, obviously. But I think Cam Newton's the difference maker in this one. He's been playing some of the best football of any player in the 2015 season. So I'm going to stick with Cam. I think it's going to be New England and Carolina. Um, a rematch of, what, the 2004 Super Bowl? Or 2003? 2003, 2004 season. 2003 yeah. season, 2004 season. Okay, so I think it's going to be a rematch. I'm looking forward to it. I think that would be a great game. I think New England-Arizona would probably be the best game in the Super Bowl. Um, Carolina-Denver would be, I think, a tough one to watch. But I think that I think that would be a good game, too. It'd just be, It wouldn't be what we like to see as fantasy guys. Uh, I think New England-Arizona has a chance for a lot of points. But I think it's going to be Carolina-New England, and um, we'll see what happens then, I guess. I'm looking forward to these two games on Sunday. I think these are... a Two of the better games that we could have gotten, I think, out of this playoff group. Well, both one and two seeds making it from both conferences. Yeah, it's not often you get the, the top two teams from both conferences playing in the conference championship games. Um, just to jump on, what are what are the matchups you guys are, are looking forward to maybe in the Super Bowl? What, what's the favorite one that you guys want to see? You touched on it there. I think the New England-Arizona possibility is one that I would really like to see. I think that could have the makings of a 35-34 game. Yeah. I'd like to see. Our, I mean, I'd like to see Bruce Arians in the Super Bowl because I think he is. You know, they call Ron Rivera "Riverboat Ron," but I think Bruce Arians is a gambler too, and I would like to see him in a big spot. Some of the plays that he would come up with to try and win one football game for all the marbles. So I think that would be interesting. Um, I'd also like to see. I would like to see what Peyton Manning can do in a Super Bowl because. It hasn't been pretty this year, and his last Super Bowl, his last two Super Bowl efforts have been pretty poor against New Orleans and then against Seattle a couple years ago. So I would like to see what he would do with that, what we assume to be would be that one last chance to win a Super Bowl. So that to me would be interesting. I just don't think he has enough to get it to happen. So is there one matchup, Eddie, that you're leaning towards? Yeah, I think for me, yeah, I think the New England-Arizona one is definitely enticing as a fantasy guy, but, you know, as a defensive guy my whole life, I I could definitely buy into watching Denver and Carolina, two of the top defenses getting after it. I think that would be a fun game to watch and watch those two defenses showcased against uh, I mean, Carolina's got a little bit of a special offense there. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see what Von Miller and uh, Ware could do against Cam Newton and things like that. So I can get behind either matchup if there's the teams that come out of it. Um, I don't think I don't think going the other way. I don't I don't know that I really want to watch New England, Carolina again, um, or Denver, Arizona. I just feel like you. I, I want it two explosive offenses or two stout defenses. I don't, I don't really want a mixture. I want it to either be high scoring or, or a hard hitting uh, affair with two good defenses. Yeah, we, do, we really don't want to see something like Denver and Seattle two years ago. That was 
that was just an unfair Super Bowl. It wasn't very fun to watch. So let's try and avoid getting a matchup that would give us a game like that again. Um, digging deeper into these games here, let's talk about quarterbacks, your expectations here for the Final Four here. Top quarterbacks, uh, I think it's probably easy to just rank them one through four. Eddie, we'll start off with you. Um, Brady, Newton, Palmer, Manning. Manning's got to be fourth, right? And then we're just all kind of picking the top three, however we prefer them. Yeah, absolutely. I think Peyton's definitely fourth. Um, I would put Brady one, just because of the success that I watched Roethlisberger have without his top weapon last week. I think I think Brady's going to be able to, uh, with their game plan that they do, exploit that defense, as I said in my prediction. Um you know, and I'll put, I'm going to put Palmer, too. I just feel like the way Russell Wilson exposed the Carolina pass defense in the second half. I mean, after Josh Norman, they really don't have any any cover guys. So I think that Palmer's going to find some success. And I, and I think Newton, due to the, his lack of weapons, I know he's gotten it done all year with them, but um, I just think that Newton will fall third amongst those, and then, and then Manning fourth, of course. Yeah, for me, um, I'm going to take, this is hard, um, I think I'm going to take Newton one, Palmer two, Brady three, Manning four. I think Brady has a good game, I just think that that NFC game has much more potential to be a shootout. And I think Denver has enough defensively to give Brady some fits. Um, I think that will keep Brady's yardage low, but I do expect Brady to throw touchdowns because I don't see them running the ball in to get points. So um, Newton, Palmer, Brady, Manning for me. But I think the top three all have decent fantasy games. Yeah, I'm going to go Brady one here and really probably no surprise. But... My reasoning behind it is, once again, we have an idiot defensive player come out and call out Brady in the middle of the week. Uh, I forget I forget which one it was, but he comes out and calls Tom Brady a crybaby. Says all he does is cry to the refs. And, hey, Tom Brady is known to complain a little bit to the refs, but, I mean, we've seen in the past that <laughs> if you call out Brady in the middle of the week, it's usually a bad idea for your team. Uh, he's usually going to pick on you individually as well. And I, I just think that not only that, the Patriots need to rely on the pass to be successful in this game, I think. So th- I think Brady's going to be chucking the ball a lot, a lot of quick passes, a lot of, a lot of throwing the ball, trying to tire out that pass rush, I think, for Denver. So go Brady 1. I'm going to go Palmer 2. Uh, I, for a lot of things you said, Ed, I saw Russell Wilson kind of take advantage and maybe maybe show a little weakness in that Carolina secondary. There were some guys getting open uh, that whole second half. I, I know it was maybe Carolina playing a little bit of a prevent, just trying to keep people from from big plays. But I thought there was, other than Norman, like you said, there, there's not much in that secondary that scares me. I, I think Palmer could have another big day. And the Larry Fitzgerald factor for me is big. Uh, the guy, obviously I'm a big Fitzgerald fan, but I mean... We're arguably looking at maybe the best postseason wide receiver. I mean, he's only been there a few times, but when he's there, he's he's performed. And I'm kind of 
interested to see who they're going to match up with him because he's such a tough matchup. And I'm going to go Newton 3. I actually think he still has a good game. I think Palmer and Newton both have good games in that game. I think, I think there might be some points. And I, th- I think the Panthers are going to have to throw the ball a little bit to beat Arizona. And I'm going to go Manning 4 just because I think Denver's going to rely heavy on the run. They're going to try to pound all game long, I think. They realize that if they're going to win this game, it's going to have to be because they run for a lot of yards in this game. It's not going to be Peyton throwing for 300, throwing for three scores. So Brady, Palmer, Newton, Manning for me. All right, let's get into the running backs then. Um, We'll break them up by game here. So the running backs in the New England-Denver game, C.J. Anderson, Ronnie Hillman, James White, and Steven Jackson, I guess. I, I don't think we need to really talk about Brandon Bolden at this point. Um, do you guys, What do you guys expect from James White in this game? Um, I think his value goes up because I don't see them running the ball much. Um, you know, using him as an extension of the run game and, and using his ability out in space. Um, I know we said the similar things last week. I don't have his numbers in front of me. I don't know how highly involved he was last week. Um, Shane, if you know. Not much. Yeah, rough game last week. Yeah, so I, I expect him to be involved with, with the pass-catching aspect. Um, but it's, it's so inconsistent, you know. It's it's still a Bill, a Bill Belichick backfield, and it's still, you never know. Um, so, I don't like playing James White anywhere in any daily lineups just because I feel like there's that risk-reward there. Uh, it's a lot more risk than it is reward, but I guess if you're playing in tournament styles, he is a guy that could catch you know, a couple passes and maybe break one and, and give you some some value there for a guy that's probably not going to be uh, very highly owned. I actually love White this week. Um, it seems like any time... The Patriots uh, Brady Manning game takes place. Seems like the running back has a big factor for the Patriots. Whether it was Kevin Falk when they used to play against the Colts, uh, just seem like now it's James White. I mean, seems like the other team is going to take away. I think they're really going to try to take away Edelman. I don't know if they can, but I think they're going to try to. And I really think it's going to be a white out of the backfield type of game. I could see him getting seven, eight catches in this one. Uh, I don't know how many yards are going to come with that because that Denver D is pretty fast, but I really think that they're going to going to have a lot of a lot of passes out of the backfield for this one. So I like White as a as a daily play, as a guy you're probably going to get for really cheap. Uh, I don't like Stephen Jackson this one. I actually liked Jackson last week. Uh, I'm out on Jackson this week. So yeah, I think I agree with you on James White. It kind of goes along with what you said. The the quick passes trying to move the ball efficiently, making that more of an extension of the running game. So I think I like White over Jackson, definitely. And then the running backs for Denver, it has to be C.J. Anderson, right? Just based upon the fact that he's probably the better bet to get in the end zone. Um, At least that's the way I see it. Yeah, I'd put C.J. Anderson ahead of Hillman. I just think he was more effective against the Steelers in the touches he got. Um, I don't know... I don't know that he's a better bet to score because Hillman 
got the first couple looks on the goal line down there, and then CJ kind of came in when he didn't get the job done, and then he scored. I still feel like Hillman is kind of their, their goal line back. I don't know if they'll go away from that, but I just think he's more productive in the touches he gets. He, had, he had also had a couple drops that would have went for some nice yardage, too, that would have really added to it. Yeah, it's Anderson for me in this one. Uh, played Hillman last week in our playoff pool, and he's kind of the reason that I'm now on the outside, really looking in. Not much chance to get back into this one. I'm going to need something big to happen. But Anderson's just, I, I feel like he's taken over that role a little bit. He's going to be more of a threat out of the backfield. He's going to get more touches. And Hillman, for me, just, Anderson's a better player. I, I just, I'm out on Hillman as well. Yeah, Hillman, Hillman might have the better um, big play potential. I could see him scampering for a long one. He's kind of shifty, but C.J. Anderson, much more consistent, and I definitely like him best out of the Denver running backs. Um, Arizona and Carolina, kind of different in the fact that they each have one running back that they lean on for majority of their touches. Uh, David Johnson and Jonathan Stewart, what do you guys expect from these two guys this weekend? that Seattle defense a couple times. Um, David Johnson struggled here as of late, and it doesn't seem like the Carolina defense is really willing to allow anything on the ground. Uh, that linebacker core with Keithley and Davis is is pretty stout, and they really fly up in there and fill the gaps. And um, Latulale has played great up front. I just don't see there being much there for David Johnson. Um, I think he's going to need to be involved in the past game heavily this week in order to see really much any production because I just don't I don't see it being there on the ground for him. So I like Stewart much better. I think Stewart's a guy in any cash game lineup I think you gotta have because I think he's uh, probably far and away the top back of the week. I actually don't like either guy this week. Uh, but if I have to pick one I'll go with Stewart. Uh, just because that Carolina offensive line looked really impressive in that game for the first for the first half. I mean, the second half they kind of shut down. The Seattle defense clamped down a little bit, but in the first half that offense was was just blowing Seattle off the ball, and they were really really grinding out some yards on the ground. Uh, I don't. I think that Arizona is really going to have to pass the ball to beat Carolina. I think I could see Carson Palmer chucking it about forty times in this one. Uh, I don't. I think. David Johnson might be a factor out of the backfield. I don't know, though. Luke Kuechly is, is just incredible. I watched that game last week. He, he he might be the best linebacker in football. He probably is. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how much of a factor David Johnson is going to be. But I don't, I don't think Stewart has a big game either, but I'll take Stewart over David Johnson. Um, I think whichever guy gets more touches in this one has more production. I'm kind of leaning more with Stein here that I think if either one of them gets to probably 70, 75 yards, it would be considered a pretty good day. And then obviously you're hoping for the touchdown. I think Stewart is probably the better bet to score. I like Johnson, but I feel like they're going to have to throw on Carolina. And I think Seattle probably showed them that they have that ability to throw on Carolina. So I like Stewart slightly better than David Johnson in this one, but... I don't think either of them has an over 100-yard game. So, take that for what it's worth. 
uh, wide receivers. I had a really hard time with wide receivers in this one. I guess I want to break it up this way. Denver and Carolina, I have a hard time trusting their receivers. Denver, I have a hard time trusting because of Peyton Manning. I just don't think he looks good. Um, There was one play in particular I remember from that game where uh, Nance and Sims called it as tipped at the line. And it can't. It just when they slowed it down, it just came out of Peyton Manning's hand off the side of his hand, and the ball was spinning um, sideways. So he just doesn't look right. I thought that was funny that they were trying to play up the fact that it got tipped, trying to give him as much credit as they could throughout the game. But Sanders and Thomas, obviously better talents than anyone on Carolina receiving wise. But what can you guys? What do you guys expect as far as production from these two teams and their wide receiving cores? Um, I definitely trust Emmanuel Sanders. I, I feel like the way that Manning needs to move the ball down the field with those short intermediate routes. Um, I think the wind was a huge factor, and uh, Manning kind of caught caught a little bit of grief there in the first half with the way the offense looked, but. The drops plagued them so much. I mean, he really could have had so much of a better day. C.J. Anderson dropped one over the middle. It was a 10-yard little dump off. There was no one within 30 yards of him, and he just didn't catch the ball. Um, Thomas dropped one that would have been a first-down conversion down there in the red zone early in the game. There was just so many drops. Sanders did drop one or two. Um, I thought Manny actually looked pretty decent um, in, in what he did with how bad the wind was there. Um so I, I trust Sanders. I haven't been able to trust anyone on the Panthers' side. There's no one that I can really get behind and feel comf- confident in or comfortable with. Um, I know Ted Ginn's produced this year, but I just uh, I can't trust any of those guys enough to really throw them out there. Yeah, this Denver one is really interesting for me. <laughs> it's kind of one of the keys in our playoff pool is when you pick Thomas, when you pick Sanders. I picked Sanders last week. He didn't have a great game, uh, so I obviously can't go with him this week. It's going to be interesting. We talk about it all the time. Which one are the Patriots going to take away? Because I feel like they're going to have to double Demarius because I don't know that Malcolm Butler can play with him one-on-one. Uh, but I also don't know that Malcolm Butler can stay with Emmanuel Sanders one-on-one either. Just that Thomas has such a size advantage on Butler that I think that's a bad matchup if the Patriots decide to put Butler on him. So, I, I really don't know what they're going to do, but my, my gut tells me they're going to try to double Demarius, and I think that leaves Sanders open for, for some one-on-one options on the other side of the field. So, I think Sanders has the bigger game for Denver here. Carolina, I, I, I just don't like any of their receivers. I think they're going to have to throw the ball in this game, but I, I, I guess it, it's going to be Greg Olson for me. Um, the, the receiving core just... This isn't very good for them, and I find it hard to back any of their guys. So I think they'll put up some points, but I don't know if it's from the receiving core. I think it might be Olsen. I like Sanders over Thomas better for a lot of the same reasons you just said, Shane. Um, I don't necessarily expect a 100-yard game from either of them, but I think Sanders could accumulate some catches and some catch after the run. So um, I think Sanders probably has a better game than DT. And then for the Panthers, the only guy I'm really looking at is Ted Ginn. And I kind of said this about Seattle, and it didn't really pan out, but 
I feel like Arizona is another defense that you got to beat over the top. Arizona seems to play their best defensive football when everything's in front of them and they're kind of chasing um, the ball carriers that way. So I think Ginn probably has the best chance to get behind that secondary and maybe catch a deep touchdown, and that's really what you're hoping for with Ted Ginn. So um, I can't really get behind Funchess, Cotchery, or Philly Brown, unfortunately, and I don't think you guys um, can blame me for not getting behind those three as you guys couldn't either. So No, that's why, that's why I keep saying I feel like they have that game in them where they only score like seven points or... 10 points something like that like when they just get blown out I mean that that receiving course scares me to the point where if you stop the run I mean and you, you just find a way to stop Jonathan Stewart and keep Cam Newton from beating you on the ground I mean that receiving core just doesn't scare me I, I mean they've been they've been scoring this year but I just feel like they have the potential to put up that game where someone stops them on the ground and they don't know what to do in the passing game I don't know yeah I, I mean I can see it happening but I just feel like Cam's been finding a way to not not let that happen this year. So much more. I don't want to say more wide receiving options because New England. I think you're really looking Edelman, maybe Amendola. I don't really consider LaFell much of a factor at this point in the season. But Arizona, the three headed monster wide receivers. I think we all kind of got reintroduced to Larry Fitzgerald in the playoffs last week and. He's a guy I tossed around. I had him and Martavis Bryant in and out of my lineup multiple times. Ended up costing me um, some money. But is Fitzgerald the clear-cut number one? Or are we still kind of trusting the fact that maybe Michael Floyd is a better option and um, Fitzgerald you know, kind of needs, needs to have a couple big catches to really break free and put together a big game? Last week, I put I put Floyd two as far as the Carolina guys. I mean, I put Fitzgerald two and Floyd one. I was really expecting a big game out of Floyd. He did get the touchdown, which was nice. Um, I ran a huge Cardinal stack across the board uh, everywhere I was in the in the daily landscape, and it paid off. I had a really nice weekend with him. Um, Fitzgerald, the, the huge plays he made down the stretch, really helped me secure some things. Um, so I, I think it's still up in the air of who's going to have the best game. I'm really, it could be really any of the three guys any given week. Um, I see, you know, a lot of people said that the outside guys weren't really going to be an option last week for Seattle, that they would be taken away by Norman and such. And we saw Curse having a nice game. So I don't think that, that holds true. Um, but for me, I still feel like that this could be a John Brown week for me. Um, Fitzgerald's still going to be highly involved. He's going to get the looks down near the end zone. Maybe I'm just leaning John Brown more um, towards the, the playoff thing. I know I'm a little bit behind. I need something big to happen for me. So I, I need someone in there that could give me a big boom and, and help me catch up. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm leaning towards a John Brown week a little bit more. Um but these three receivers are all explosive. As far as New England, I think it's Edelman and only Edelman. Um, I'm not comfortable putting Amendola anywhere. I think LaFell is really out of the landscape. I would even consider Keyshawn Martin before I consider Brandon LaFell at this point. Yeah, that Arizona game last weekend, it really 
brought back some memories of that Super Bowl uh, where we were sitting there. I was harassing you all night. Uh, Fitzgerald has one catch for six yards in the first half, and it's like, man, why are they not getting this guy the ball? And then he goes five for 90 in the second half, and then obviously the two big plays in overtime. I just feel like at some point someone's going to say, you know what, Fitzgerald's not going to be the guy that beats us in the playoffs. It, it really turned into Arizona. Arizona almost forgot about him, it felt like, in the first half. And then they were like, you know what, our season's on the line. Let's get our best player of the football and see what happens. And that's kind of what they did in the second half and, and overtime. For me, this game, I think Carolina has the ability to shut him down. I, I think uh, I think with their linebacking core is good enough to maybe cover him a little bit in the middle of the field. And I actually think it's going to be a John Brown week. Uh, I, I could see John Brown getting loose in that secondary a couple times for some big plays. I'm actually going to rank Fitzgerald third. <laughs> that's hard for me to do because I'm a big I'm probably the biggest Fitzgerald guy that we have. I'm going to go John Brown, Floyd, and Fitzgerald and the Cardinals receiving core this week. For the Patriots, it, it's really Edelman. Uh, I, I really can't get behind anyone. I can see the Broncos trying to take away Edelman and, and maybe some other guys getting looks, but you can only take him away so much. Uh, he gets open too quick, and, and Brady's just always looking at him, so... Even if he has a bad game, it's still going to be a 7-8 catch game, I think, for maybe the yardage is just limited to a point where it's around 70-80 yards. But it's really Edelman. I can't get behind Edel- Amendola, Keyshawn Martin, or LaFell. I don't like any of them. Okay, out of those four receivers for me, I have Floyd and Fitzgerald, 1A and 1B. Um, the thing that intrigues me about Fitzgerald is lining up in the slot Keekley may be able to stay with him a little bit, but I'll take Fitzgerald in that matchup more often than not. I like Floyd, too, because of his size advantage. I feel like he's kind of similar to Jermaine Curse in that sense. I don't like John Brown this weekend at all for Arizona because I think Josh Norman plays the deep ball just as well as any um, cornerback in the game. So I think that hurts John Brown. So I like Floyd and Fitzgerald. And Edelman, I'm going to have, I guess, is my third out of the four of them because I don't think he finds the end zone. I think they have to lean on Gronk when they get in the end zone. So that's my reasoning um, for rolling with Fitz and Floyd over Edelman. Um, Let's move on to the tight ends. Olsen, Gronk, um, Denver tight end, I guess it would be Owen Daniels. And then Arizona's is Daniel Fells. I don't think we need to really spend any time talking about Daniel Fells. But Gronk, Olsen, heavy usage for both of them in their offenses. They're both pretty much the key cogs in their um, offenses. Who do you guys expect to have a bigger bigger game out of Gronk and Olsen? I'm going to go with Olsen just because I think he is their one and only weapon in the past game. And I think the Cardinals have been susceptible susceptible to giving up some uh, plays to the tight end spot over the year. Um, I, I mean, Gronk's really 1A. It's not like I'm picking him to have a bad game. I think he's still going to be big. Um, I just like Olsen a little bit more. It, it seems like Cam's either throwing it to him inside the red zone or tucking it under his arm. So I like that. Um, I mean, the same could be said for Gronk, too. I just, I, they really are 1 and 1A to me. I'm just going to take Olsen by a slight bit because I think 
they need him more than Tom Brady needs Gronkowski. I think he can get more with Edelman than uh, Newton can get with anyone else. Yeah, this one's close for me as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Gronk. Uh, just like I said last week, he's the best player at the position, so I'll, I'll give him the slight edge. And I'm thinking back to that game when they played in the regular season. I feel like the Patriots found something against Denver where they can attack them up the seam. I remember tight ends running loose right behind the linebackers up the seam a few times in that game. It was Chandler late when Gronk went out. I remember Gronk did it a couple times early. So I feel like that might be in the game plan this week. And I just really think Gronk's going to get in the end zone. I mean, it's hard for it's hard to predict that he's not going to score a touchdown in this game for me. So that being said, like I said earlier, Olsen's the, the main target for me in Carolina. So I really think both have a good game. As far as the, the Denver and uh, Arizona situation, you, you really can't play any of these guys, I don't think. No, you got to stay away. you got to stay away this weekend, especially in the DFS landscape. I think Gronk gets in the end zone twice. Um, I just think that he's too big of a target in the end zone. And I don't think anybody on Denver can line up with him and defend him when they get inside the 20. So that's my reasoning for having him over Olsen. Um, I think Olsen will have a harder time finding the end zone than Gronk will. Brady has to lean on him when he gets in the end zone, in my opinion. So I do like Gronk for two scores, if not maybe more, if not three. I think Gronk has to be the guy that scores for them in this one if they want to go on to the Super Bowl. All right, anything else you guys want to talk about NFL before we move forward here? No, everyone's good. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk a little NBA DFS. As we talked about in the last podcast, um, we do want to start mixing in some NBA talk. We spend a majority of the show on the NFL, but now that you know NFL is almost over, we want to start talking about NBA. So, Eddie, you've kind of been our NBA lead. Um, we want to talk a little bit about your DFS strategy, the games you're playing. Um, we talked a little bit about our pace of play model that we're building. I think we turned a little bit of a corner here this week. And, you know, it's something that we're going to keep talking about as we continue to see success with it. But let's just talk a little bit about your strategy and what you've been doing. Because, if I'm not mistaken, the last couple days you've been pretty profitable, correct? Yeah, I've had a a nice little run here over the last couple days. Um, I'm I'm really putting in work with the pace of play mixed with the opponent's positional rank defending that uh, position. Um, and really looking at matchups and, and looking at a team based and trying to figure out where the best plays are for the night. Um, I think we can all agree as we, we're really picking apart these spreadsheets that we're coming up with uh, with our formulas. Really what we're finding so far, just to update how this is kind of going because we just kind of unveiled it uh, with the last show, uh, what, we're, what we seem to be finding is across the three, uh, well, the two guard spots and small forward, the pace of play really seems to be a factor. There's there's multiple possessions that you're gaining with that matchup are really benefiting point guards and shooting guards and even small forwards. Um, I know I discussed a little bit about uh, going the opposite way with the centers. Uh, we've been looking for a, a slower pace of play for the centers and favorable position ranks, and that that's really paid off. Um, 
I played a small slate the other night with Houston against the Clippers, and I had Houston ranked um, in that late slate as my uh, best center matchup based on the the spreadsheet, and that was the night that Dwight Howard went for, I think it was 78 fantasy points. So there there seems to be some value in what we're doing. Um, So it's going to be interesting to continue it and try to project it out and really pick it apart and figure out what's working. Um, The thing I really wanted to dig into tonight, um, really for like beginner players, um, it wasn't, it hasn't been too long ago since we all started playing in the NBA and we've all kind of discussed our own strategies and what we're doing. Um, And discussing with someone that's kind of new to the, new to the NBA landscape and, and, and I think this applies really to DFS strategy in general. Um, and playing cash games versus um, the GPP and big tournaments. Um, I really tried to dive into the numbers today. And, and I, I know I sent some of this stuff over to you already, Kaz. We talked about it a little bit. Um, when you get into some of those big tournaments, those big prizes are certainly attractive. And it would be nice to rake in a couple thousand dollars in one lineup. But... To me, and I know you agree with me, Matt. Um, most times, that's like kind of going out and hit, hitting a lot of uh, the lottery and buying a Powerball ticket. You really got to hit on all cylinders and really find guys that are going to boost you up there. And I think it's something that's really hard to do, especially when there's a lot of guys that are so well versed in what they're doing and, and really being able to pick this stuff apart. So for beginner players, throwing throwing in that two dollar or three dollar tournament lineup, um, looking at a three dollar tournament lineup you would have to beat to triple your money and make a nine dollar profit you would have to beat 95 percent of the people to finish in the top five thousand i think it was 115,000 entries i was looking at for the tournament you'd have to beat 94.8 or 95 percent of the people just to triple your money and get to that profit um to me i like to play the small games where take that three dollar entry and play it in a a five-person tournament where it's either winner take all or the top two slots. You play a couple of those, and if your lineup's good enough to finish top top spot or top two, where you only have to beat three or four guys, um, you triple your money a lot faster and a lot easier with having to beat far less people. And those outlier guys that go for eight times value that you don't have seem to hurt you a lot less. Um, so I think it's important to really get yourself into the right lineups. Um, and then playing the right slates. I think we've kind of seen the, the smaller slates lends you to have a lower score that's going to cash rather than the higher slates just because there's a less pool of players to choose from. Um, so really setting your strategy and, and what you're playing in is probably more important to me than, than looking at pace and position rank and setting your lineups. Um, so that, that's where I stand on it. I think you just got to choose the right games and you can be profitable with a lineup that goes for 230 whereas 230 is not not getting you anywhere near making money in um those big tournaments but it could definitely be good enough to beat a five-man tournament um that's where i'm saying i know we all kind of have different aspects and, and things like that but i think when you're starting out you gotta you gotta pick the ones that you think you can make money back on i missed that one part ed did you say you would rather play in Small slates or the bigger slates in the da- in the daily. Um, I've always been a small slate guy. I- I've picked I've picked apart small slates, um, NFL wise, and NBA wise. I've been doing the same, and I don't know why. I just find 
games in a small slate. I feel like there's a lot of people that try to get too cute. They, they hear about, you know, trying to find the guy that's going to set you above in GPPs. And I feel like some people apply that to their cash games, and you don't have to. But you take a small slate, and you go out and pick the guys that you think are going to perform best at the position, whether you're talking basketball, you're trying to pick the best point guard, the best shooting guard, or whether it's football, you're trying to find the guy that you think is going to be the best quarterback. Um, for some reason, it just seems like people reach and, and put guys in their lineups that are a little bit of reaches, and all you have to do is put together a sound lineup, and you're going to cash in cash games. Uh, with a smaller slate, I think it's much easier to pick who you project out to be the top guy in each position. So that's why I try to lend I lend myself to smaller slates a little bit more with success than bigger slates. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that. I was thinking in my head as you were answering that guys definitely try and get cute in the small slates. Uh, I was in a small slate NFL last weekend where I think a guy had Amendola and I think Heath Miller trying to get cute, and there really wasn't a reason for that. So, Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you see it all the time. Even in our in our leagues that we... We, we did throughout the season. Uh, you see we have like 12, 15-man leagues, and sometimes you see the lineups where I think we had, what, five people cashing when there was like 15 guys. And you see people playing off-the-wall names just trying to hit big in a 15-person league. And yeah. it's like, what are, you, what are you doing? I mean, you're really going off the wall looking for that one guy that's going to hit a home run when you really just need to play a consistent lineup and – you can find yourself in the money a good portion of the time, and that should be your goal. You're obviously not going to hit every every time, but I mean, you're just looking at it from an average average basis. If you can if you can cash a certain amount of times, we talked about it all week. You're you're really looking at sixty percent as as your your number you want to hit to be profitable. So, I think going that route is a little better than trying to hit a home run all the time. Yeah, the the biggest lesson and strategy for me is, and Ed had talked about this last week, be diligent. Download an app that tells you when guys are coming in and out um, and when they're not going to play and when they are going to play and if they aren't going to play, who's going to fill in for them. It's not as easy as Stein and I talked about last week as plugging in the backup running back when the starting running back gets hurt. It's not that easy in the NFL. Um, but maybe when a small forward with a high usage rate is out, maybe then there's more touches for the shooting guard at a lower value, and that shooting guard then gets his ele- his price elevated. We've seen it the last couple nights with like a guy like Monte Ellis. Um, he's been hovering around that five times value, but with George Hill, Rodney Stuckey out, um, he's getting more shots than he usually does. So stay diligent as far as the injury report and the starting lineups and who's going to play and who's not. And then just take the time to look at the game logs. You don't need to spend eight hours on the day. You can spend a half hour, but really devote yourself to it. I've spent more time on NBA the last three days, and I've had more success in those three days because I'm paying attention to things. So those, that's my biggest thing is if you're going to get into this, um, don't just throw a lineup together in 30 seconds because you're basically buying a scratch-off ticket or a lottery ticket. Um, it's just like Stein said to me last night. It's no different than playing blackjack. Know your odds, and you got to really pay attention. So um, those are the biggest things. You know, Read a bunch of different guys. Try and, try and figure out 
why people are playing and you know we're definitely here and we're gonna we're gonna try and help you guys as the winter goes on because football's over DFS this weekend there's no football DFS after this and baseball doesn't start for a little while so if you want to play fantasy for a couple months here you're gonna have to play NBA and um, it's definitely something that I'm gonna be paying attention to and something that we're gonna be talking about because it's just it's it's a lot of fun to do so um, all right, let's move forward. We're going to talk briefly about the MLB here. We talked about in our last podcast some guys that switched teams. Um, there's five more names I want to talk about here with uh, Stein here. First one just happened the other day. Justin Upton going to the Tigers. First time he'll be in the American League. I'm not a huge fan of this move. You've been a big Justin Upton fan. Um throughout the early part of his career here. I'm interested to see which side you lean on here. I actually think it's a good move for the Tigers. Uh, I don't I don't know that it makes them any more of a contender <clears throat> this year, but I, I think it's... The Tigers needed to make a move for an outfielder. They, they clearly needed some help there. I, I think once they realized they were out on the Hayward, Hayward talks, I think, I think they really... Hayward would have been the ideal guy for them to go out and get, but they, they just didn't have the money to go out and, and get him. So, obviously, Justin Upton was, was probably the next biggest name. Maybe, I mean, Cespedes is out there as well. But they signed him to a six-year deal. It's really not going to be a six-year deal, just like everything we've seen so far recently. Got the opt-out clause in there. It's for two years, actually, for him. So, they got him through his age 28 and 29 season, which is, I mean... For a guy like Justin Upton, you got to feel like these are going to be peak years. you got to feel like he, he's been on a good run. I mean, the last five years, he's been he's been an absolute stud. you got to figure that these next two years are going to be more of the same. And you slot him in that lineup with Miguel Cabrera and J.D. Martinez, and you really have some pop there in the middle of the lineup. The question marks for the Tigers are, I, I don't know how they're going to get better at the bottom of their lineup. They're, they're really still a pretty weak weak team when it comes to the seven through nine slots yeah and i think that's kind of the difference between them being able to compete with a team like the royals in their division uh like the indians coming up so i I think it keeps the tigers competitive to the point where they're still a team that is going to be tough to beat but i don't know it puts them over the top but i like the signing i don't think it's really going to hurt them because i i don't think it's going to hurt them in the long run i don't see upton staying in town for the full six years no i think it's just a two-year rental they hope to get him at kind of the, the peak apex of his career here the last few really good years before he might start to decline when he hits 30. So it's going to be interesting, but I, I kind of like the signing just for that. They're, they're not committing to him for the full six years. i, I got to believe a guy like Justin Upton is going to opt out after two. So two-year rental, I, I think it's worth it for them. Yeah, 29 is a good time to hit free agency. Um, really gives you a chance to probably get one more deal where you can really cash in and before you start playing out the rest of your career on one year deals so um i guess when you spin it that way it makes sense i just don't ever see him as a keystone guy like a guy that's really gonna be a guy to build your lineup around but maybe jd martinez is kind of the guy that miggy will pass the torch off to in the next couple years um let's talk about one of the first dominoes to follow this offseason Former Tiger, David Price. He goes to Boston. 
they spent the most money for him. Um, David Price is a guy who has had a lot of success in the AL East. He's been a guy that I think gave Boston fits for a long time. So I think that was also part of the reason that they wanted to get Price. Boston is a team that we've seen can turn it around quickly. They were one of the worst teams in the American League last year. Um, what do you think David Price brings to Boston? I think it's a great fit. Uh, I'm high on David Price. Uh, obviously one of the best left-handed pitchers in the game. And he knows the AL East well, and he pitches well against the AL East. So the Red Sox really needed to go out and get a, get a top-tier guy. Their their rotation was just a disaster last year, and they they couldn't compete with with the teams in their division with with the rotation they were throwing out there. So they needed to go out and get that horse. And obviously they had the money to spend, and they paid up big to go and get him. And I think they were tired of getting beat up by him all these years. I mean he's been with just about every club in their division except for them. So I really like the signing for the Red Sox. I don't know that they turn it around and 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 are back in the division hunt this year, but I, I, I kind of like them. I, I think that last year was more of an aberration. I think they have some young pieces coming up that are, that are going to help. I really like Mookie Betts this year. I think he's going to be a solid, solid producer for them all, all season long. So anytime you add a guy like David Price at the top of your rotation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your team better. So it's going to be interesting for me to follow the Red Sox and see if they can make that full turnaround again to back to the top of the division. But... They'll be right there in the hunt, I think, at the end of the year. Yeah, I love the price signing. Um, the main reason I love it is because a team like the Yankees needed David Price. They don't get him. Boston does. So not only does that increase Boston, but it also decreases New York. Now New York goes out and gets Araldus Chapman. Now, with as we talked about last podcast, with Batances, Miller, and Chapman, they don't necessarily need a guy like Price, but still having one would have been huge because... We are going to see, I think, this summer that that bullpen's going to need some nights off. And Bryce is a guy who can go out there, give you 8, 9, 120 pitches, and give your bullpen a night off, which is um, almost immeasurable at this point in uh, baseball. Yeah, it's really weird to, to not be in, seeing the Yankees even kind of in the bidding for a guy like Price. You would think in years past they would be a team that would be all over him as far as just being willing to go out and spend just because of how valuable he is. <clears throat> but I feel like they have so much money tied up right now that they really didn't have the money to go out and get a big name like that. I mean, I, I know they're, they're still paying A-Rod a bunch, and they're paying the Sabathia contract. I feel yeah. like it's hurting them. So, Yeah, so let's talk about, I think, an under-the-radar signing. Johnny Cueto goes to the Giants. Everyone's joking about it's um, an even year, so it's time for the Giants to win another World Series. I love this signing for San Francisco. Cueto comes back to the National League where he had so much success as a Red. And he also leaves Great American Ballpark and goes to um, the spacious field in San Francisco. Um, I like Cueto a lot. Pitches to contact. I feel like the Giants, I I haven't really dug into my um, analysis for the offseason yet and my rankings and everything, but I feel like they're one of the better defensive teams. I know Crawford plays a pretty good short. Um... So I love this signing for them, pairing him um, with you know the rest of their starting pitchers. They they go seven eight deep in potential starting pitchers for them. So I like Cueto to the Giants. I'm thinking you probably feel the same. Yeah, I was actually out on Cueto at the uh, end of last year. I, I really thought the guy was slowing down, 
And I think it all depended on where he went. And the fact that he went to San Francisco is what keeps me in on Cueto. And it's going to be for one reason that you didn't mention. Buster Posey. Uh, I just feel like he's behind Yadier Molina. I think he's the guy that I would want to have as my catcher. I feel like those two guys make such a big difference to pitchers that you really can't even count how much it means to – you can't even measure it. So the fact that he's going to a big, spacious ballpark, a team that's used to winning, a a good organization, and the fact that you have a top catcher in the game that's going to be behind the plate for you, it's just – I feel like it's going to add up to a good season for Cueto. I I haven't done my rankings yet as far as fantasy. I was – looking to get into that in the next couple of weeks obviously with drafts going to be rolling around in a, yeah. in a in a short while here but Cueto certainly is a guy that with this move I think stays not in the top tier but in that second tier I feel like of uh, starting pitching yeah I like that move a lot and yeah, I think he's going to probably fall somewhere in my 15 to 25 um, for starting pitching so and then we'll talk about two other guys here NL Central pitchers John Lackey goes to the Cubs from the Cardinals Cardinals counter adding Mike Leake um, from the Reds, and then he had a short stay with the Giants at the end of last season. I'm going to miss Lackey and his bulldog mentality. I thought he was an underrated pitcher. He's a guy I owned, I think, the last three seasons in fantasy as he's really kind of refound his career here. Um, but I'm excited about adding Mike Leake. I think he is a guy that fits into what the Cardinals do. So I'm just interested if you have some quick thoughts on these two guys. Yeah, I kind of like the signing for both teams, actually. I'm, I'm a big lackey guy, just like you. Probably not as high as you are in the fantasy. It seems like every year you're the guy that goes and snatches them for a good value and <laughs> kind of seems like one of those guys that we all kind of forget about. Um, for whatever reason at the draft, you seem to get him for such a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, what's he doing that for? Like, why, why is he all in on lackey? And then the guy just goes up and puts up consistent numbers. Uh <clears throat> I like the fact that he's 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 a ground ball kind of pitcher. So, I mean, I don't know that the Wrigley Field is going to hurt him too much. And staying in the NL, staying in a division that he's been in the last few years, uh, I think he can have some success. The Mike Leak deal, uh, anytime the Cardinals make a move, I, I kind of have to favor it. I think the Cardinals are the best organization in baseball, and they, they kind of seem to know what they're doing. And just like I said with Cueto, uh, you have a guy like Yadier Molina behind behind the plate. It makes such a big difference for a starting pitcher. Uh, just being able to steal strikes here and there, being able to work a game the way that Molina does. seems like this is kind of the cardinal mold. This is what they do. They go out and get a guy that maybe everyone wasn't high on. Maybe they, they felt like they can get a good deal out of, but they see some value in it, and they, they turn him into a really solid number three, number four guy. And they put up the numbers that are just a little better than what they were doing with the Cardinals. So I really like the league signing for St. Louis. I feel like he can definitely fall into the middle bottom of that rotation and fill a nice hole for them. So I think it's a good move for both teams. I think it's going to be a good battle this this year in, in the NL Central between those two clubs. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the Cubs. I'm going to miss Lackey, like I said, especially in the postseason. He's a guy that just pounds the strike zone, um, a guy that I think keeps everybody involved defensively. I like Lackey. Like you said, he's a guy that kind of fits my pitching strategy as a fantasy owner. I want veterans who are going to go out there and take the ball every fifth day. I don't have to worry about him missing, you know, 15-plus days in the DL and having to stream guys. I want those guys that are going to go out there, maybe not necessarily give me the best ERA and whip, but 
they're going to go out there and give me innings, and I'm not going to have to worry about finding guys to fill in constantly. So he was a guy that fit that mold for me. I'll probably have to pay up a little more for him this year if I want to get him back, but um, he's definitely a guy I'm going to be looking at as we start to talk about our pitcher rankings moving forward in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, real quick, just from a fantasy perspective, I think both of those guys' value go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're yeah. guys that you kind of probably could have got real cheap last year. I think Leak was a guy that was on our waiver wire most yeah. of the season. The other thing um, you got to think about, too, um, the Brewers aren't very good, and the Reds completely pretty much sold house, so they're going to get some starts against those teams. Pittsburgh didn't do anything to really make themselves better. So you always have to look at the guys that they're going to be pitching against a lot. So I'm going to be targeting, as we get into our starting pitching talk, I'm going to be targeting a lot of guys from the NL Central and a lot of guys from the NL East um, with those teams. Kind of, Actually, I'm going to be targeting a lot of NL pitchers year-round because San Diego is another team that's tanking. Um, it's kind of been the theme in the NL. There's a lot of bad teams this year, I think, as we're going to see as we get into this. So. Um, fo- like I said, with football being over in the next week or two, we should probably have our MLB rankings shows coming out probably starting in about two weeks. So expect to start talking about rankings by position and team in about two weeks on the podcast here. Um, but, go ahead. Uh, Ed, uh, just before we close up here, you I, I know I ask you every week, but you have uh, some bold predictions, maybe a two-for-one that we can go on this weekend? So, with that being said, um, you can find us on Twitter at Red Triangle 23 um, Every night we try and put out some guys that we expect to hit value. Uh, five times value, we put out some plays. So far, we hit on Nikolo Vucevic tonight, and it looks like Ilyasova for Detroit just hit five times value. So, um, it looks like we may miss on one or two tonight. So, having two in the bag is pretty good. We've been hitting at about a 50% clip. Hopefully, that's going to improve here in the next couple days. So find us on Twitter at Red Triangle 23 um, We also give our hamster wheel player of the night, um, the guy that's really getting on the wheel and gone ham, as I like to say, gone hamster. Um, so look for those on Twitter. Also find the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Make sure to subscribe to it. If you do subscribe, please give us a rating um, and a review. Let us know how we're doing, what we can be better at, what we do well. Um, We'd love to hear from you guys, so make sure to find us on iTunes, Red Triangle Sports, same thing on SoundCloud. Um, Signing off, I am Matt Kozlowski for Eddie Mitchum and Shane Stein. This is the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.